everyone. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Taboos. Today, I'm here with Dr. Mirza. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Thanks, Ria, for having me on. Of course. Um, everyone, I'm going to let Dr. Mirza introduce himself. So let us know a little bit about your story, who you are. Sure. My name is Salman Mirza. I'm a psychiatrist out in Northern Virginia. I work primarily with children and adolescents, but I work with adults as well. I work with one of our local healthcare systems, and then I have my own private practice. Um, I do, like I said, child adolescent psychiatry, adult psychiatry, and addiction medicine. Um, I've been out in the world of doing like social media stuff and content creation for the past couple of years. Um, so started primarily with like TikTok and then kind of pivoting a little bit to like YouTube and podcasting and other stuff. So it's been a fun little journey over the past few years. That's cool. What got you into content creation? I think it was like the pandemic. Um, my One of my buddies, like, you know, unfortunately, like he lost his job. And then like, he was like, oh, you know, he's British. So I was kind of joke around. I'm like, oh, but he's like, bro, bro, you gotta, you gotta get into like this content creation. There's all these, all these people out here on the, on the, on the socials talking about like mental health. And I know you're like doing this and this, so you gotta get on there and do that. So it just started kind of like from there and it's just kind of grown. So. It was a nice way to kind of like interact with people, network with people, like really kind of that I think has been like the greatest thing is just being able to connect with other similar like-minded people. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So when you like, well, I'm assuming you said you work with children. So do you work with yeah. all South Asian children too? Yeah, we actually have like a pretty decent um, population over here. So like I said, in, in Northern Virginia is... You know, it's one of like the biggest in, in Loudoun County, right? It's the richest county in America. Mm -hmm. Loudoun County has like the nickname Cloudin um, because mm -hmm. a lot of like 60% of like the internet traffic in the country goes through here. So there's like, you know, it used to be all farmland and now it's all server farmland. Mm -hmm. So with this, you, as you can imagine, there's plenty and plenty of like Indian South Asians who come over here have like um, settled down over here in this area. And there's like, definitely like very much like neighbors which are like you go down the street and you're like oh i smell like the holy and i smell all <laughs> the the stuff that's out there and yeah so we have uh, uh of course with that like you know i think the demographics kind of play that out too it used to be very historically very white area but the the, the amount of like south asians and asians in general has been just growing exponentially here yeah, I live in New Jersey so i've just yeah. seen south asians all the time yeah i was born there so yeah <laughs> Uh, so bringing us back to what my podcast truly focuses on, stigma. So have you seen cultural stigmas impacting your work, especially in like mental health and therapy in the South Asian community or other communities as well? And what are some of the common misconceptions that you've encountered? Yeah, we, we see this a lot. Like when we have people come to us for care um, and a lot of parents will kind of like dismiss a lot of the and I want to say just parents, but even just like the kids themselves, the the teens themselves will like dismiss what they're going through as like, oh, my child couldn't possibly have ADHD. My po my child couldn't possibly have like depression. They couldn't possibly have anxiety. You know, they have things like, or it can't possibly be like autism, right? Or it can't possibly be like schizophrenia. And there's also like this concern, you know, one of the things that we see is that like a lot of South Asians get into trouble with things like substances, right? <clears throat> and historically, when we talk about like, you know, especially like in, in Muslim culture, like, you know, because um, I'm Muslim and that's a lot of my, my background too with that is um, so many times like there's in Islam, like 
alcohol is forbidden and substances are forbidden and all that stuff. So then when this becomes a problem, it's like, oh my God, how did this even occur? Like you were not supposed to be doing this. And this is why, again, the religion says to not do these things. So these stigmas kind of get up there without realizing that like this stuff has always been going on, right? Um, even like within families, like when we take a history for somebody like, oh, do you have anybody in your family who has any of these you know, depression, anxiety, bipolar, autism, et cetera, whatever is there, they'd be like, no, no, everybody in our family is fine. And like, it's because there's this kind of wholehearted rejection of the fact that potentially something could be going on or like, you know, people will have like the uncle who has like autism, but like they've shipped them away many years ago and nobody talks about them anymore. So they're not part of the family anymore. So things like that kind of come across a lot. Um, so there's absolutely like that stigma that shows up and then how does it affect care? Because uh, people are afraid sometimes to do things like therapy, because that's for white people, quote unquote, people we don't, they don't do things like medication, because we have our own medicines that we can use, um, whatever that may be, which, which are not always evidence based in science, right? They're based on culture and, you know, right. what everybody says. So that's ways that it can show up in, in different ways, shapes or forms. Right. Do you think, um, like you brought up with substance abuse and religion, do you think religion is the, um, like the main reason, like one of the main reasons why the stigma exists? I wouldn't say that. I think, I mean, culture is the biggest kind of thing. Right. Um, because like, even again, like within Islam, you know, Islam is one, you know, is, is the biggest uh, religion in the world right now. And it's practiced so many different ways because of the cultural aspects of it. Right. So that's the biggest thing is, you know, Islam in Pakistan versus Islam in India versus Pakistan versus like in Saudi Arabia versus like people who are immigrants and how they live in America. Like they're all going to be different. So it's not necessarily the religion aspect. I would say it's a lot more the cultural stuff that goes along and the stuff that comes along behind that. Right. OK. Um, and how do you think that we can begin to break down those barriers and open up more conversations about mental health? I think the biggest thing is, you know, avenues like this where people who look like us are having these discussions, um, more people kind of going into the field as a whole. So like me as a South Asian doctor, as a psychiatrist, and like putting a face to that and embracing that, not necessarily rejecting that background of where I'm from, like, and saying like, hey, yes, there are people like us who are dealing with these things and we have to be aware of them and not push them under the rug. Um, Cause a lot of times people will come up to me like in private and say something. Right. But at the same time, like nobody's willing to kind of like shout that out and say it out loud that these things are going on. So approaching it from that point of view and then understanding like where, uh, you know, within the South Asians, a lot of, there's a huge sense of like community. So, coming at it from a community aspect. So whether it's through the mosque, whether it's through the temple, whether it's through other things like that, um, to kind of really get the leaders on board over there and have kind of events or situations, um, presentations that occur where we say, hey, we have to be aware of these things, right? We don't talk about suicide, right? We don't talk about um, South Asians who have done that because again, religiously, culturally, it's it's taboo and we don't talk about that but we know what happens, right? Um, again, substances substances is a big thing. Like nobody wants to go out and say like, we need to have like, again, at the mosque, like a substance abuse program because God forbid, like any Muslim is ever drinking alcohol, but like it happens all the time. We know that this happens all the time. So 
So what advice kind of do you give to the people who have substance abuse, but like say they're people my age too, mm-hmm. what can they really like tell their parents? What can they tell their community? How are they supposed to approach that if it's hard for them? I think it it takes people being brave, right? It's it there needs to be support. There needs to be an element of the fact that like, hey, you're gonna go out there and put your story out there and you're not gonna get necessarily just purely rejected from it. That somebody's got your back and they're gonna they're gonna come out there for the right purpose. So that like let's say, let's say you at your age or say, oh my God, I have troubles with like alcohol or I have troubles with like cannabis or other things like that. Mm-hmm. And you're plan to go out to the community and say, hey, be aware, parents be aware, your people your age, be aware of this happening. The biggest thing is having somebody who's got your back too, who's going to support you so that it, when people say dumb stuff, because it always happens, right? That somebody can kind of shut that down and say, hey, like, no, understand the, the message here is that these things happen to anybody They happen to everybody, right? Just because we may be South Asian or we may be Muslim, we may be whatever is like, we can't assume that that's going to be protective yeah. against us developing any of these issues, which again, we've had, you know, year after year, we're setting records for the number of overdose deaths in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's astounding the numbers that are happening. And we know it happens in our community as well. Yeah, I think a huge thing, especially like I've seen in my community is South Asians care a lot about what the community thinks of them. Mm-hmm. So it's like if my child, well, like my parents, like if my child yeah. has something going on, we wouldn't want you to share it because we don't want them to think of that of you. And how do we break that? Yeah, it it is this whole idea of like, you know, what's, what will people yeah. say, right? Um, and there was like some movie that came out a few years ago that was actually like pretty good on it. Um, but it is that idea of like, the community matters, but end of the day, like they don't matter. And that's, it's a, it's a mindset that needs to kind of be broken and and kind of understood that like, if all you're trying to do is please or present this like public image, uh, think of what like, you know, the community is going to say, like, then you're hurting the individual, right? So if you're like, I'm not going to take my child to rehab or take them to go see a psychiatrist to go get them to therapy because I'm concerned that like, somebody's going to see them and then they're going to start talking in the community about that. Like, and then what will they say? Like you're hurting the child ultimately, right? They're the ones who is getting the damage and like, what's more important. Right. And that's the idea is like, we have to think about what's more important ultimately. Is it what the community thinks or is it the health and well-being of our own family members and friends? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is another like side thing, but I don't yeah. know if this was a case, the case for you, but kind of what advice would you give to people who were choosing like South Asians who were choosing your line of work and yeah. were facing stigma in their community in regards to it? Yeah, I, I absolutely face like stigma kind of going into it. Um, you know, like even within, I remember like I always tell this kind of story is that like we're in surgery, you know, because all med students when they're going through it, they kind of they rotate through various um, all the specialties. And, you know, even if I've decided I'm going to go into psychiatry, I've still got to do my 12 weeks of surgery. So we're there, we're operating on somebody and I'm just kind of like helping out the, the the main surgeon. And he's like, oh, med student, like, cause we don't, we haven't earned our names yet. Right. Um, med student, like, what are you doing with your life? I was like, oh, I'm planning to go into psychiatry. And he's a South Asian surgeon, right? He's an Indian surgeon. And he's like, why are you wasting your life? You know, he's like, why are you wasting your career, wasting your education, wasting 
all the money that went into that by going into psychiatry. That's not real medicine. That's not this and that. Like, so even within the field, you know, where or even within the field of medicine, like we get this, get this kind of feedback that like you're wasting your career, um, you're wasting your education. So that's there. But the idea is like my the whole point of me wanting to do it was to kind of break those taboos, break those stigmas, understanding myself that like these things are important, that we need to be we need to be doing this and that having somebody again with my background being in the role like is unique and it's important and it's necessary for really trying to affect change i agree especially for like children my age i'm currently a junior in high school so like mm-hmm. a lot of people are kind of picking out career paths what to do so i think it's really important that they have a role model like you or people in your field who look like us yeah they can look up to and know that oh this is possible this is important something i yeah. should do yeah, and it's so necessary too. Like I, I again, like even like when we're on like Twitter and stuff, and or other social media, and I, you know, like it's it's around that year where the, or like the med students are gonna starting to kind of start that process of like, oh, I'm applying to psychiatry, I'm applying to like you know whatever it is. Any time, anytime I see like you know a a, a non-white person in that, I was like, yes, we need you, we need you, we need like mm-hmm. South Asians, we need Black, we need like Latinx kind of um, psychiatrists and mental health people, like you're so, so necessary and you're so needed. And it's like, you'll have a job for life. Like your, your job is secure. So, you know, parents are always like, we want job security. I was like, put your South Asian children in the mental health field. Like they'll have a job. They will never need to ask for help for work. Yeah. Um. Do you think like there's certain things, I don't know how to phrase this, but certain mm-hmm. things like, basically I was talking to another South Asian um, psychologist and we were talking about how, the body image for South Asian people is things like, oh, I need to straighten my hair. I need to lighten my skin. Have you yeah. seen like there's those differences between like um, having like like a South Asian kid having like a white therapist versus like an Indian therapist, someone who just understands them better? Yeah, I, it, it's something that comes up a lot, like cultural competency in general, like is so, so needed. Um, you know, there was a time like I was doing like these little like, you know, funny comic strips or whatever. And I had made like this comic strip, which was like this um, Indian girl named Pooja. And she was going to a ther- white therapist named Stacy. And the, and the joke, the, the, the kind of the punchline was like, Stacy, the therapist telling Pooja, like, Pooja, your parents can't tell you what to do anymore. Right. And it's this idea like that within what, what, what boundaries are. Right. So when there's like the Western idea of like what boundaries are, the white person idea of like what boundaries are versus like in South Asian communities, a lot of kind of religions or traditions, like your parents are going to tell you what to do for the rest of your life, <laughs> you know, fortunately, unfortunately, but that's part of it is. And, and the fact that we, that our boundaries are kind of like look different and that we can't just, we can't just say like, shut up, mom. Right. We can't just give that kind of background that like, you know, there's the jokes that we see of like the white, the white kids who tell their mom to shut up for telling them to like do something. And it's like, no, if, if we did that, like we would be, we would be killed by our parents, <laughs> but yeah. so things just look different. Um, and so, and it's having that understanding. If you don't have that understanding, that experience, you're going to come across and, and give these recommendations or these kind of things that are not effective or not really plausible. Right. Yeah. My 25 year old brother still gets told what to do in our house. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um. So this is like another thing. What role do you think that parents and caregivers can play in dismantling the stigmas associated with mental health? Yeah. I, I think the thing that they need to do is really kind of share with their kids that like, Hey, 
part of your health as a whole and your future as a whole is your mental health, right? And and how we function, right? So I know there's like the stereotype that South Asians like just want kids to focus on academics and how they do. You can't focus on academics and do well. Like if you're struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, struggling with ADHD, struggling with whatever else, you can't have a successful career. You can't have a successful family. You can't provide those grandkids that, you know, parents want um, without doing well mentally and physically. So it's necessary that these things are taught together, brought up together and really emphasized so that, you know, less arguing, less fighting, less all these things that happen, it can lead to like, again, happier, more successful families. Right. And I think like in regards to mental health, I've seen um, like people I've seen firsthand, like kind of have that conversation with their parents. And I feel like it was, it worked, but yeah, another time I've realized it doesn't work. And it's like a side topic is in regards to like LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you kind of give to kids who are like, who are struggling to like talk, get their parents on board with that. That's, that's hard. Right. And it's not just purely like a South Asian thing, right. It's something that we see with all kinds of communities is that um, there is this kind of, I want to say oftentimes or more often than not, but like enough times, right. Is that there is this kind of rejection that occurs, right. Because I think, and hopefully, right. If we're coming from it, from a point of view is like, that rejection in a way is almost coming from a lack or a desire for the children to have a better life, right? And whatever better life, quote unquote, means. Because we know that LGBTQ plus individuals, like, it's not that that causes them to have more mental health issues. They have greater mental health utilization because of the fact that they are discriminated against, um, the fact that they are othered so much. The fact that all these, that there's a lot of distress that occurs with kind of having to keep things quote unquote in the closet, um, having to keep things secret. So there's that double life that occurs and all the problems that occur because of that, which then lead to things like depression, anxiety, substances, et cetera, high risk things. Um, So it's not, and and again, it's for the parents, it's like, it's not inherently because they may be LGBTQ plus that they're having more of these struggles. It's because of the things that come along with that so it's ultimately then comes down to and again some people are going to be very rigid and they're they're never going to be able to accept this right some people are going to say that this is how things are and this is how things should be and you know if you go down this route i'm disowning you as a child and those things you you have to know the battles that you're going to win and the ones that you're not going to be able to win are you going to be for parents it's like you have to support your child ultimately and what they're what's going to bring their happiness, what's going to bring them joy in life. And, you know, families look different. So that's something that we look at when we compare, again, white people, brown people, black people, yellow people, et cetera, you know, different peoples out there is that like families look different and that can be between like, again, the standard typical male, female, mother, father, family, and it can be something different too. Yeah, I think it's just it's going to take a while to break that idea of what the ideal family should look like, you know? Yeah. Um, And for you specifically, have there been any like culturally sensitive approaches or techniques that you find particularly effective when working with South Asian or cultural children and families? I think the biggest thing 
is that a lot of times if I'm doing like interview or um, kind of evaluation or treatment with them, there's just an, a level of understanding that occurs, right? So then a lot of times, you know, the, the people will say things like, oh, you know how it is, right? Or even like in a religious basis, they'll be like, you know how like, you know, in, in Islam, it should be like this, or again, even in Hinduism and Sikhism, because like I'm familiar, more than familiar with those kind of things too, is like, you know how it is, like, that's the most common thing is so there's a there's a level of understanding that occurs um there there that barrier of having to like explain traditions or belief systems a lot of that gets wiped out or erased when you're able to kind of have that connection that's there um so that's one of the biggest things that makes it a lot easier um and even just in general too like there are times where somebody will refer like a friend to me, right? So there are somebody that they know because they're like, I know that you can keep it hush hush and you know you're gonna I'm gonna respect, you know, the, again the 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 normal doctor patient stuff that's there. Mm-hmm. Um of course everything is supposed to be confidential, but like there's that extra level of like I know you're gonna understand it from approach of not being judgmental and you're gonna like treat them like a human being instead of, you know, being judgmental or being whatever else that may be out there. Right. right. Um, and what advice, I mean, we've kind of answered this already, but what advice do you have for young children who may be struggling with their mental health, but are afraid to seek help due to the cultural stigmas? Regardless, I think, you know, you've got to reach out and tell somebody, um, finding a trusted adult, right. And it doesn't have to always be mom, dad, or whoever else it's there. It can be an aunt, uncle, older sibling, older cousin, whatever else is there, teachers, right? Because the more that like children, teens will try to like cover something up or hide it, it becomes a bigger problem. You know, the problem kind of grows over time. It becomes this like monster that just gets bigger and bigger until you can't cover it up and hide it anymore. And then it's going to show up in different ways, whether it's going to be things like unintentional overdoses, whether it's going to be things like suicide attempts, whether it's going to be self-injury, whether it's going to develop as like an eating disorder, it'll show up, right? And then a lot of time when, you know, I get into situations where I've seen somebody at that level, that acuity where like stuff has happened. And then the parents will say things like, I have no idea where this came from. I could have never guessed that this would happen. And then you talk with the, the kid or the teen, and then you say like, this has been going on for years, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. Stuff has been going on. There's things that have been showing up over time. And then it ultimately got to a point where you're not able to kind of cover it up anymore. And that's where the problems become. So it's really being able to have that open communication with somebody, anybody who's going to be able to, again, advocate for you in case things get to like a danger point or problems come up. Do you think that like schools or like maybe even doctor's offices when you do your physical should advocate for like a mental health checkup type of thing too? We're we're definitely seeing it more and more. Mm-hmm. Is that like um and, you know it's been met with some pushback on on some levels, um but then I'll, I think like from our point of view, from the doc point of view, mental health people's doc point of view, like we're embracing it, that we're screening for more of these things, because the biggest thing is the biggest tragedy is like when something happens. There's like, again, and somebody you know, will lose their life and then there's no answers, right? Um, there's there's no, and parents will, again, will have that response of like, I had no idea where this came from. I could have never guessed that this was going to happen. So I 
you know, one of the things is like with, with suicide and completed suicides and incomplete suicides, right? So attempts and, and attempts that are not successful, right? Is I'd rather see all the unsuccessful attempts in the world, right? Because mm-hmm. nobody died, right? But the completed suicides is where the trouble is, right? Because you don't, you're not able to kind of get the answers or understand like what could have been different a lot of those times, so. Right, and do you think, I mean, we talked about school, but I also kind of wanted to know like your thoughts on what type of role like the media plays and even in specifically to South Asians like Bollywood, do you think it plays a helpful or harmful role in depicting mental health? Media has always done like a very crappiest job uh, with depicting mental health. It's always been seen as like the monster in a way. Um, it's been, even though like, you know, one of the oldest stories in Bollywood is like Devdas story, right? And not just like the Shirokan version of Devdas, but Devdas has been told like multiple times in like the black and white area. It's a story as old as can be. Like, and that's a story about alcoholism, right? About alcohol use disorder. So the stories can be there. Um, but they need to be told in a way that instills some hope, instills the ability to kind of say that, like, again, that like the person with schizophrenia is not the scary person, right? That the person who was dealing with depression is not a scary person. The person who has autism is, again, not this person you just send off to like live in a group home, right? Like there's a human being that you help and you have a life with as well. So more accurate depictions instead of just, again, the worst parts of it mm-hmm. you know we often hear things like oh people with mental illness are violent people when the reality is that people with mental illness are much more likely to be the victims of violence versus the perpetrators and they're also more likely to perpetrate violence against themselves than other people's so yeah i think media needs to portray something that's more like relatable rather mm-hmm. than extreme and understand that yeah. like you're so then I also think like even with South Asians specifically a lot of us don't really know or accept that we're going through something so yeah. if we see something that's like more of a toned down version we can understand oh wait I've been feeling that way too yeah yep okay that's pretty much all that I had but if okay. there's anything else you want to share any sort of last words of advice um for like people who are listening to this podcast yeah the, the biggest thing that I say is like just communicate with people, right? Communication, communication, communication. That's the biggest thing that we could do. Um, Whether that's, again, through partners, friends, relatives, family, whoever else, health, you know, with doctors or mental health people, like being open and honest, like, you know, when you're not doing well, being able to share that and being, you know, hopefully having relationships with people that you can, you can have that conversation with them and Mm -hmm. say like, Hey, I'm not doing too great. Um, or something else along those lines, like that's, you know, and, and reaching out for help when you need to, and just understanding that like help is there and help can show up in different ways. And, you know, somebody will help you. Right. So just putting yourself out there and somebody can help if, if you're going through stuff. I agree. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me. What are, where can people find you if they need someone to talk to? Uh, so I was like, normally it's like, you can't like talk to me, talk to me like that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> but um, I do have, uh, my main socials are, I use um, TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. Um, those are the kicks shrink. So the, then kicks, K-I-C-K-S, and then shrinks because I'm a sneakerhead. And then on Twitter is my old high school nickname, Soul Money, S-U-L-M-O-N-E-Y. <laughs> so I've had that since Twitter way back in the day. 
Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.